in-depth and God-filled conversations with some of the brightest names in contemporary Christian music and worship. This is The Artist Interview with Gordon T. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Artist Interview. I'm your host, Gordon T, and it's my absolute privilege and pleasure to scale the world's contemporary Christian music and worship and bring to you some of the brightest talents with amazing stories uh, and great music to share. And I tell you what, it's an absolute pleasure this week to welcome back to the show none other than John Cooper from Skillet. Really looking forward to meeting him in just a moment. What a guy, what a band. Uh, I tell you what, I'm going to give you a warning, in fact, because you know what? Their music, if you don't listen to it, can be a little bit full on. It's sometimes a little bit loud. And I'd make no apology for that, dear listener. If it's not your normal sort of music, please do not adjust this dial, because I tell you what, the stories are well worth listening to. And this band are absolutely blazing a light in a place where other music has an entirely different story to tell. They are bringing God's hope where people otherwise may never hear it. So before I chat for too long, let's hear this first track. Bear with me, it's well worth listening to. It is Psycho in My Head. There's a psycho in my head, I'm closer to the And that was Psycho in My Head by Skillet. Hey, John, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks for that nice introduction. I just want to make sure people know if they're not used to music that is uh, full on, as you describe it, I want people to know there's still time to repent. God, <laughs> there's always time. There's always hope. God is drawing us back. No, no great, great to uh, be back on. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> it's a pleasure. We're very <laughs> glad that you are here today. Uh, and I'm thankful particularly that you've made time in this moment because often with the artist interviews, they're not really too time dependent, but I really wanted to get you back before you kick off your European tour because you guys are going to be rocking it over here in the UK and a number of other uh, destinations around Europe over the next coming month, I guess. So, um, so in fact, this will be airing uh, for the first time in the UK on the Wednesday the 12th, which means two days before you hit your first UK venue, which I think is, is it Manchester you're going to? Yeah, Manchester is the first one and then London uh, after that. Yeah, okay. So London, obviously the closest one to, to where I am, uh, but I'm going to miss it. I don't know if you remember, John, but last time you came to the UK, you, you came on my wedding anniversary, so I couldn't come to the show. And this time, you're coming just as I'm heading to the States. What? Timing's <laughs> terrible. I'm missing out. But anyway, let's catch up on a little bit about about you, first of all. Uh, last time you shared a lot about how you as a band are, well, you're incredibly hardworking, but you, you tour with your kids uh, and and your wife as part of the band. Brilliant, bringing them up uh, right alongside you in all the sort of strange situations that you as a band go to. But one thing we didn't particularly cover, and you mentioned it, you said you were brought up by Christian parents who didn't like rock music, didn't like anything with drums, in fact, you said. Um, but I, I thought it might actually be good, though, to talk about your journey to faith, because although you're brought up in a Christian context, there must be a moment when you went, actually, I, I sign up to this. Can you tell us a bit about that background for you? Yeah, certainly. And, and and I will say this to say that my parents didn't like rock music is downplaying it significantly. They hated it. They that my they they really believed that the only thing more satanic than rock music 
was Christian rock music. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people, I mean, it's, it's a joke, but I say it. My, my mom would probably have rather me been a drug dealer than a Christian rock star. Okay. It was like, <laughs> The worst thing in the whole world, and I make jokes about it because my—I mean, look—my parents were great. My mom uh, loved Jesus, and so I got nothing but absolute. I brag on my mom all the time, admiration for her. She's the reason that I know who God is. Um, she's the reason that I know what the Bible teaches, and so my, you know, journey to faith, if you will began with a mom who just loved God. And so she sort of implemented this sort of thing that I wish all Christian parents would implement. Uh, and namely, since I'm a man, I don't mind speaking to fathers out there. I really wish that fathers were doing it. A lot of times it falls to moms because moms care more than than the dads. And I really want to speak to those good Christian men out there to rise up and and, and do your, your calling as God, as the Bible um, explains for us to raise up our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But my mom sort of took on that mantle. And so she taught us about the Bible. Ever since I can remember, you know, I, I know that I did not come out of the womb born again. I'm aware of that, but I cannot remember a time when my mom wasn't reading the Bible, forcing us to pray. We had to pray at two and three years old with my brothers. It was just the thing we had to do. And so when I was five years old, I gave my life to Jesus. I was absolutely convinced uh, without a shadow of a doubt. And, and I will say to this day, uh, and this is not bragging on myself. I'm bragging on the Lord because his grace has been so, so uh, amazing in my life. So good in my life. Bragging on the Lord. I've never doubted the existence of God. I've never doubted whether he was real, you know, whether God had truly saved me, whether or not Jesus truly died on the cross or rose from the dead. Is that just a, a myth or is that actually real? I've, I've always believed that as, as long as I can remember that comes from the teaching from my mom, but it also comes from the fact that I, I mean, I, I, I knew it for myself. I, I saw it in, in, in life. I believed it in my heart. I experienced the truth of God's word in my, you know, all of this. So, uh, I've been really blessed in my life to know God since I was a young person. Sometimes people can say, oh, that's just your, it's because your life has been easy or this or the other. I have had an easy life. That's true. But I've had hard things in my life. My mom um, got sick with cancer when I was in sixth grade. She fought cancer off and on for three years. She died when I was uh, just turned 15. And I began fighting with my dad after that. It was, it was a horrible situation. And that was the darkest period of my life in which I just thought, okay, I know God's real, but I'm not sure if he's listening to me because my yeah. life stinks. And I'm I'm here at night. I'm praying again. I don't feel anything. My life is terrible, and I'm not sure he's listening. I've had those hard moments in my life, and what I found is that the more I fall back on the Word of God, oh man, the more peace I have in my life. And I began to. That's when I really began to know Christ, not just as my Lord, uh, not just as my my Savior, but I began to know Him as a friend. That was a really life-changing time for me because he is my Lord. He is my Savior, but he's also a friend, the Bible says. It's okay to think of God like that because the Bible says it, right? And yeah. so that is when I began to know Jesus as a friend that would never leave me, and he understood me. He knew what I was going through. And um, that's a long story, which I won't get into. But um, in other words, it's not just something that I know in my head. It's something I know in my heart. It's something I've experienced. Okay. Well, you know what? 
That's a real encouragement for people who won't necessarily at the moment think uh, God can be your friend. A lot of people have a picture of God sort of being somewhat distant, far away, and probably with a big rod ready to, to <laughs> tell people off if he gets the opportunity. Sure. So it is so lovely to hear you talking about actually that friendship with God and that intimacy that, that we can have with him. Um, and clearly that's really set a destination and a path for you. At what point then did music really start coming into it all? And also, uh, I guess, Christian music. The, the, the worst possible kind, Christian <laughs> worst, rock music. The worst of all sins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I wouldn't mind just rewinding because I love what you just said. Um, I think that Christ, understanding the word of God, of course, we're never going to fully understand the word of God. Uh, I mean, he is infinite, right? Uh, so I'm not saying we will fully, but it's this balance of amazing truths. And what we see in the Bible is that God is both higher than we can ever imagine him to be, which means that he is he is worthy to be feared. We we don't understand him. We are, it is right to fear the Lord and he is holy. And at the same time, he is nearer to us than we can ever imagine. So, you know, in theology, you know, they, they had this great thing with say it's, it's imminence, but it's also transcendence, right? He is transcendent, but he is imminent. He's here. He's a friend. It's so absolutely beautiful. So I think weighing these things out, that was an important time in my life. Music became and, and the reason I say that, I'm sorry, I hope you don't mind if I keep yakking, but. I, you go okay. ahead. I'm enjoying it. You <laughs> well, yak the reason away, I'm sir. saying it is because I do think that we fall into error on two sides of this. And I would say right now, young people, as a Generation Z who are raised in the church, I think are a little imbalanced in terms of. They only see God as a friend and they do ne they do not see God as a Lord because that sounds too mean to them or sounds too judgy or too whole. They don't like this idea of a God that judges them. But, but I will just say to my, my friends who are young in the faith, that is an imbalance and that is, that is actually not accurate. Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived says in, in the Bible, the end of what is the end of all things? What is the answer to life? What is the riddle to life? It is this fear the Lord and keep his commandments. And when you fear the Lord, all of a sudden you will begin to know God as a friend, which is an incredible, we can't understand this because we're not God, it's an incredible mystery. For me, music, my mom was a piano teacher and a voice teacher. So this is the funny part is that my mom loved music. There's always music in the house. My mom sang opera. So she'd always be singing opera and playing the piano really loud. People were over learning how to sing. But at the same time, I love to sing, but the things I loved to sing, my mom didn't like. So I think that when music became important to me was probably in sixth grade. What What is sixth grade? Is that like 10 or 11 years old? I guess is, is that age group. And uh, my friends were listening to secular metal. I mean, because it was the 80s. So it was Bon Jovi, Metallica, you know, all of those rock and roll hair band, all the big hair bands. And you couldn't go anywhere without hearing that music. And I loved it. It was I felt activated by it. And I, was, and I was into sports. And so when you're into sports, it's just a thing that guys do. You want to go play pick up games. We play basketball in America a lot, you know, outside or play football or whatever. Um, American football I'm talking about because I'm no good. Oh, yeah. I'm no good at, at soccer and what you guys call football. I'm the worst. I can't use my feet. But if you want to go play a game of football, somebody would bring a, bring a big boom box and for Generation Z, a boom box is like a traveling stereo, okay? So we put the boom box out there, and you would put Van Halen on and Metallica, and it made you feel aggressive uh, because that's what rock music made you feel energized. And so I, it's 
it just moved me. And so when I first heard Christian music, it's because I was complaining to a friend. I was 15 and I was, no, it was more like 13. I was complaining to a friend. There's no way my mom would let me listen to Metallica. And he said, hey, you know, there's Christian rock music. And I said, no, I didn't know this. I should tell my mom. And so he gave me a tape from a Christian band called Petra. Petra is one of my favorite bands of all time. And so I brought this Petra tape home to my mom thinking my mom's going to love it because they sing about Jesus. And man, my mom's head just exploded. <laughs> it's even worse. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And so uh, Christian music meant a lot to me. Just to tell you one for funny story before I wrap up. Now you go for it. I was in eighth grade, which means it was about eight months before my mom actually passed away. My mom was in chemotherapy. I mean, it was just a, a horrible time. She she lived feeling terrible. Cancer is a terrible thing. And the cure for cancer is a terrible thing. Uh, chemotherapy is, is, is horrific. Even worse, 30, 40 years ago. And so she was sick all the time. I wanted to go see Petra with my friends. And my mom wouldn't let me because she believed it was demonic. And I was so upset about it. My mom said, okay, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to take you to the Petra show. And when, not if, when they start praying to the devil or sacrifice an animal to the devil, that's when we're going to leave and you're going to know that I was right. And so my family went to the Petra show and wow. I'm, at the end, my, my mom looked at me. She said, you know what? She was like, I still don't like Christian rock music, but I believe that those boys love Jesus. Oh, way. That's good. She she was open to it. So it's pretty funny, isn't that it? That is amazing and yeah. and really cool that she took you as well because it it helped her learn as well as you probably have a great time, I guess. Um, yes. probably, she probably still didn't like the music, but you know, it was still amazing that she did that. <laughs> and actually that's, that's a style of parenting though that I think you probably have a bit as well, because you talked about the way that you're alongside your children and you do things with them and actually you're there so they can see and you can model to them uh, being a godly man, mm. So, um, which is which is great. Um, in fact, for the listeners at home, I will just quickly describe what John looks like because uh, you know, it's on the radio, so you can't you can't see him. So I tell you what, his shirt his shirt has got multiple rips all over it. Uh, he's got a great big beard. He's got tattoos uh, down his arms and possibly elsewhere. I can't tell. Uh, his his hair on the top is all sticky uppy. Uh, you know what? He actually is brilliant. He's not a wolf in in sheep's clothing. He's he's a guy who's reaching out to people actually in a way being uh, being something all men can receive, you know what I mean? Um, all things to all men, so that actually he can raise, I guess, and this might be just your style as well, John, I might add, it's, it, but it, but it's, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you went to your shows dressed in a suit, like maybe your mum would have wanted, probably everyone would boo you off the stage because you'd just be looking totally out of place. So you fit in within the culture, but are not of the culture that you're in. Is that fair to say? I think that's great. Yes. Being, you know, in the world, not of the world. Now, of course, we'd never want to sin um, and say, well, I'm just being in the world, you know, doing things that are sinful. But yes, I, you know, when I was growing up, Again, I would never dishonor my mom. My mom, I mean, I make jokes about it because I think it's it's funny and she really meant well. She really believed rock was was bad, but she also believed that lots of other things were bad. Like, for instance, the color black, you know, wearing black clothes was a sign of death, you know, to my mom, you know, things like that. So we may associate some of those things with fundamentalist, you know, Christianity and things like that. And I understand. I just have a lot of grace for people that feel that way because I know where they come from because my family was a, a little like that, but they loved God. And so for me, what it was was saying, okay, I want to live for Jesus. And if the Bible says 
that wearing black is demonic, then I don't want to wear black. If the Bible says that wearing, uh, you know, having a big beard is, is bad, then I don't want to have a big beard. But if all that that is, is the traditions of men, and that is not an issue of the holy character of God or the law of God, then I think that we can put that into the other category, maybe of things that we try to do to please God that are really just our own strength. They, they don't really have anything to do yeah. with the law of God. But, and, and so I think what can happen, and I'm certainly not saying this is true about my parents or anybody listening to this program, I have no idea. But what we can tend to do is we can tend to put a lot of importance on the things we do on the outside to make us look like Christians, while at the same time not focusing on the things in my heart. And we see that all the time in, in the church. I don't know what it's like in the UK, in America, there's been an acceptance in the Christian church of thing, and I don't mean acceptance as in people are literally saying it's okay, but we are no longer preaching against things like pornography. We're not preaching against things like lust hardly ever. We're not preaching a, 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 against a whole host of things that I won't mention on here because I don't know exactly what the stipulations are on radio, but we're not preaching against a whole host of things because we don't want to hurt people's feelings, but we end up focusing on these outward things that we do to, to sort of signal that we love God. But in the end, I think where this begins is in the heart. Christ wants to transform us on the inside out. The Bible says, don't, don't give provision to any sexual morality. Don't give provision to any of these things in your heart. And that's just not the way that we walk. We walk now according to the spirit. So yeah, the way I dress and things like that, as long as I'm not sinning, um, I just go, hey, I've got a job to do. This is the way I dress. Um, the, the, the proof of my life for Christ is what he has done in my heart and it is obeying the law of God, not obeying ordinances of men. Yeah. And I guess, in fact, it shows that it didn't worry me. I didn't even pick up on the fact that you're wearing black. You, you, are, you are wearing black. It, it, it's a good look. It suits you. So, but, but my, but my mum, I think she'd be scared of you if she saw you. She will be listening to the show. So hopefully, and, and, and she's probably going, oh, I don't like Christian rock music. But, but, but she, but I think she might begin to like you. So maybe she'll have a better opinion of Christian music, uh, rock music at the end of the show. Who, who knows? So now you've, you've, you've mentioned about the Bible in numbers of places and you mentioned that you sort of got into it. Can you tell me? In fact, I would like to say, John, just to honour you, you know, sometimes people have an opinion of, of people who are part of certain types of music and they might think, oh, you're rock and roll, rock, heavy rock, you're heavy rock, you're not going to be very bright. I feel you're one of the most studious people, not just, not just on the Bible, but also other areas of life with psychology, sociology, that sort of whole package of things more so than probably majority of people that I speak to on the artist interview. So I just want to say, and only you say, well done for being so studious. Uh, and it bucks the trend where people might think, oh, if you're into heavy, heavy rock, probably not exactly <laughs> spending a lot of time studying stuff, but you clearly are, you clearly care about this sort of thing. Um, I was going oh, to ask you. kind. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I, I hope it's true. I think it's true. I also think you're, <laughs> I think you're opinionated. And I think you're an American and you're opinionated, which for some people will be like a double bad whammy. But you just mentioned about the church doesn't anymore sort of broach certain topics because it can be a bit difficult and they don't want to upset people. I, I guess there is something about trying to be sensitive to be, be loving and show God's love in these things. But also there, you're right, there's a danger that we become, that becomes our priority rather than the truth of God. And uh, in fact, I did have someone say to me recently, 
they wish the church would just become a social club because then it could be that everyone could go. And I'm sitting there thinking, I really hope the church does not become a social club just so everyone <laughs> can go. So, but uh, anyway, I, I'd be interested to know with the, with the Bible, just, just, just to say, so I hope it's okay for me to call you opinionated, but I hope that's yes. in, a, in a good way. So the Bible, because <laughs> I think your opinions are formed on a lot of thinking and experience. So the Bible, um, I probably disagree on numbers of things, but I'd like to say, hopefully the Bible, we're not going to disagree on. What, what is your favorite Bible passage and why? Oh, great, great. Um, my favorite Bible passage, um, I, I think, is still Romans 8, 20. All of a sudden, I can't remember if it's 28 or 38. Um, uh, 38, I believe it is. Um, I'm convinced that nothing in the heavens or the earth, the principalities or angels or demons or things hidden or things to come, uh, et cetera, et cetera, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And you asked me why I, you know, I think, I think it's because I still remember where I was when I understood that. <laughs> uh, I, I, so I became a Christian at five, as I said, loved God. I, I didn't have a major backsliding period, a major doubting period, but I do remember when I was in college is when I was getting very serious about being a disciple of Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? Understanding the Bible. It's when I began to understand that the Bible mattered more than I used to think that it did. And I am, as you say, very opinionated. One of the things that we have, the reason I'm so opinionated is because I I know so many people whose faith has literally collapsed into apostasy or into incredible deconstruction uh, or into a place that they are no longer within what we would call historic Christianity, all right, um, over the last 10 years. And so I started going, I need to start sharing some opinions because it's not loving to let my friends fall out of however you want to say it, they no longer believe the things that they used to cherish. And this isn't good. Yeah. So when I was in college, I began to understand the Bible. You cannot separate the word of God from Jesus. And in some cases we have a move of that happening in America. You might want to call it red letter Christianity. There's a lot of different things you can call it. There's like, well, what Jesus said matters, but the rest of the Bible doesn't matter so much. All these things are happening. When I was in college, I God dealt with that with me. I was reading the Bible. Actually, I was doing, I was going through a Bible study called um, Experiencing God. I don't know if anybody knows that. It's a pretty famous one. For the, It probably was written in the 70s. I can't remember who wrote it. And it's basically a thing I was doing with my pastor. He said, hey, we're going to meet twice a week. I want you to do these studies. You go in, you fill in the blanks for the Bible verses. You know, say, have the Bible verses written out and you fill in the blanks. And then we talk about them, what they mean to you. I was going to college and I realized I was meeting with my pastor after my class and I hadn't done my homework and class was starting in three minutes. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get this done. And I'm rushing through. And of course, this is before cell phones. So I have my physical Bible. So I'm opening up my physical Bible. I'm filling in. I am convinced that blank, nothing in the heavens and earth, blank and blank, nothing and blank, and then can blank, separate me from the love of God. And it hit me. And I remember I started weeping. I've been a Christian since I was five, and I had never considered the fact that God's love for me was not going to change based on my behavior, based on the fact that I really live for Jesus this week. He doesn't love me more because of that. Oh, this week I really messed it up and I cussed somebody out and I I yelled at them on the street. Now God doesn't love me anymore. I never considered the fact that it was not based on my actions. I mean, and I, I said that I believed it, you know, amazing grace. It wasn't anything I did. It was all his grace, but I never, it, I never understood it 
to that depth. And I think that when we understand that, it is freeing. It is liberating for the Christian to know God's love is not dependent on your performance. It is by grace alone. And once you, the, the deeper you get into understanding that, the freer you become. And then you want to obey the commands of God out of love for a God who's given you good. So it's grace leads to obedience rather than obedience leading to grace. Woo! That's Martin Luther. <laughs> Don't make me start preaching. I'll get all pumped up up in here. <laughs> That's great. No, that is that. And that is really, really helpful. And obviously a pivotal moment for you when you got it. Can I just rewind to capture one of the words you mentioned? You mentioned about the fact that numbers of your friends, um, people you knew had fallen away from being in the middle of what God had for them in truth. And you used a word called deconstruction. Not everyone uh, that's listening will know what you mean by deconstruction. Can you just explain that a bit? Oh, certainly. You know, there's a bunch of different views of deconstruction. And no matter what I, how I define it, someone listening is going to say, that's not the way I define it. And I understand that, okay? There are multiple versions of deconstruction, but I would love to give you, if you don't mind, a very quick, super duper version of why I define it the way I do. Deconstruction has a bunch of different definitions, but at its root comes from a postmodern theory, uh, literary deconstruction. Literary deconstruction is, is postmodern, which means it does not believe in objective truth. It does not believe that there is one truth that is absolute for all time. So in other words, the Bible can't be real. There is no God. There's All that there is are different the ways we interpret text. And so what it means is this. I can go and read a text from a thousand years ago, and it doesn't matter why that author wrote what they wrote. It doesn't matter the context they wrote it in, the language they were, none of that matters. All that matters is how does it make me feel? What? How do I feel about that? And because there is no objective meaning, it's just open to my interpretation. And I, and I can say it means what it means because there is no truth. And if there is no truth, then there is no morality, right? And so you, yeah. can, you can mean anything you want it to mean. That's called literary destruction. What that has happened is that has influenced all of our culture, all of Western civilization, in order to deconstruct the principles of why the West was created, the people that created the patriarchy or racist structures or or Christianity and yada, yada, yada. How that's infected Christianity then becomes a matter of saying, okay, all these principles we call historical Christian faith, Jesus Christ died on a cross not just as a picture of something, but he actually took upon him the wrath of God. In theology, they call that penal uh, substitutionary atonement. He took on the wrath of God for my sins. The fact that Jesus literally rose from the dead, he is alive today. And by the way, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then we have no hope of raising from the dead. So it matters a great deal. They take these sort of things that we would say historic Christianity, and they would say, hey, Maybe the people that said those things were wrong. Maybe that's not how we should interpret it today. We need to deconstruct their motives. Why did they say that? They said those things in order to keep other people under their power or under their rule or yada, yada, yada. So what it does is a very cynical power play, and it deconstructs the pillars and the foundations of the Christian faith. So what you end up with are a lot of people who say, oh, I'm absolutely a Christian. I don't believe that Jesus literally rose from the dead, but I do believe in the Bible 
even though I don't believe it's necessarily authoritative, but I believe it's a book with some truisms or something is beautiful. It's things that we can learn from, but it's not necessarily authoritative. That's what I call deconstruction because it does it's a postmodern theory. Some people, just to be fair, some people say no, deconstruction is nothing more than tearing away parts of the faith that are cultural but are not necessarily truly biblical. They're just things that are cultural. We call them biblical, but it's just because we grew up with them. Hey, by the way, some of those things might be like, we shouldn't wear black just to bring it back around. We shouldn't wear black. Uh, you shouldn't You shouldn't have a beard. You shouldn't have a, a shirt with a rip in it because that makes it look like you're a hooligan. Um, those, are tr- those are just traditions. They're not necessarily biblical. And so all that deconstruction is, is tearing those things away. The, the problem is, is that in its most um, ubiquitous used form, the people promoting destruction typically are no longer actually within historical doctrine because there's, there's no limiting principle. In other words, they don't believe that the Bible is inerrant and objective and has an, there are actually ways to interpret the Bible that are better than other ways. They don't believe that, and so deconstruction has no limiting principle. You know, wh- why do we say that we stop at uh, you shouldn't wear black if you're a Christian? Why do we stop there? What, what, well, then maybe Mary wasn't really a virgin. Maybe that's just a myth that we tell ourselves. So I think that's the danger of deconstruction. In the end, I don't like to argue about terms. I just want to argue about the thing, and I would want to warn Christians when you start playing with maybe the Bible isn't necessarily real, you're going down a bad path. And I would encourage you, if you read the Bible four times a week, all of a sudden you're going to find out, you just see the truth of the word of God in everyday situations. Constantly the word of God is proven true and you will see the truth of it and it will um, fortify your faith. Yeah. For the listeners at home, I think this proves my point that John is somebody who spends a lot of time thinking and studying and learning about stuff. So thank you, John, for explaining that for us. And um, it's a real danger that the, the church can potentially just entirely lose its way as it deconstructs itself. Have you ever had a deconstructed burger? Oh, no, I've never heard of that. Rather than putting it together as a burger, it's just all the little bits on the plate. And then it's like, well, that's just a mess. And then you have to, <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, I, Maybe it's a thing in the UK where there's deconstructed this and that as, as food. And you go, but it's just got all the bits all over the place. And rather than having a burger, I just have to, oh, well, mess. So, so Hey, I'll say this. Us Americans, we do not mess around when it comes to burgers. That That's uh, all that we want. We want a burger <laughs> as quickly and as simply as possible, which is, which is kind of a funny because we're always in a big fat hurry. So I don't know if deconstructed burgers would work too they well. They probably here. would not work very well. I do not, I do not recommend de- deconstructed food that much myself so anyway okay so we've got another track to to play from you it's called refuge um it's from your album dominion which is i should say an awesome album by the way how, how many albums have you done now 11 11 records i cannot believe i'm still playing music so huge thank you to the fans for supporting us for so long it's amazing well uh, some of that's all i would say is it is to the fans because you wouldn't be here without the fans but also Credit to you guys, because you you are listed as being one of the hardest working bands and you clearly do an awful lot of shows and go to an awful lot of places. And, and in fact, there's a there's a lot of American um, musicians that almost never get over to the UK or Europe because they're just so busy. I guess they've got lots of venues they can play in the States and it's easier. Um, so but um, but it's great that you do get over to this side of the pond. 
I'm moving away from the topic though, which is refuge. Tell us all about refuge. Why did you write it? What's it about? What do you hope to achieve with it? Well, um, you know, we've we've talked about so many things so far that are so relevant to the song Refuge. I mean, Refuge is about the fact that we are living in a completely maniacal time. I mean, we're seeing the truth of the word of God. <laughs> it's, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's horrible. It's like we're seeing it. It's like play by play. You know, there's this scripture that in, in the Bible that says, because they hated the truth, God gave them a great delusion. I mean, it's like, it's incredible. It's not God's fault. We're delusional. We hated the truth. So God gave them a delusion. We're seeing the proof of the word of God in everyday situations. And it's scary. I don't know why I'm laughing. If you don't laugh, you're going to cry. It, because we're like, what do I do now? How much weirder? can the world get and and more horrible can the world get and we're we're actually returning to paganism which is actually funny because it was a uh, a gk chesterton who's my favorite author of all time in the early 1900s gk chesterton says christianity put to death paganism which is true and now we're here we are 100 years later we're in a return to paganism and it's very frightening Refuge is about so many of the things we talked about earlier. When we come back to the word of God, we find out, oh, I can breathe again, right? I, I, I'm, I'm going absolutely crazy. Turn off the TV, turn off the news, turn off social media, open up the word of God. And you guess what you find out? The Lord is my refuge and strength. He is always a present help in my times of trouble. He, um, that's one of my favorite scriptures. I remember my mom made me memorize it as a kid when I was uh, four years old and it stuck with me my whole life. Uh, we come back to the word of God and we say, I don't understand what's happening in life. Why are all these things happening? We open the Bible. We go, oh, that's why, because we rejected the truth and God is trying to wake us up because it is not too late for us to repent and return to God. And when we return to God, we will find life. We will find salvation. We will find peace. Uh, one of my other favorite verses in the Bible says, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is the kingdom of God. We can have that right here on earth to, to some extent, not fully because we're not we're not physically with Christ yet. We can have it fully, but we get a taste. And I will tell you, there is a light years difference between what the world has to offer and what the kingdom of God has to offer right now. And so I just want to encourage people who are listening. If you don't know Christ, man, there is a, there is a world of righteousness, peace, and joy uh, in the Holy Spirit waiting for you now. Uh, what are you waiting for? So that's what Refuge is all about. I know how this ends. I'm gonna make it. Your word is in my heart.
and that was Refuge by Skillet and we're still very pleased that we've got John Cooper from Skillet with us right now for the artist interview. John, thanks for everything you've shared. You've, you've touched on so many topics, but actually Jesus and God being our refuge, what an amazing track that was. If you're happy to right now, it'd be great if you could pray for our listeners, for whatever things uh, God might be doing with them during this interview. Oh, sure. I'd love to. Absolutely. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are so wonderful. We, we, we talked about so many exciting things. I feel excited just thinking about how great you are to us, your goodness to us, how you have saved us. I love the fact that we already talked about the fact that you are both transcendent and imminent. You are both higher than we could possibly imagine, but you are closer than the air we breathe. You, the, Your spirit lives inside of us. Who, who could make this up? This is almost too good to believe, but you are a, a refuge in times of trouble because you are always with us. Your word says that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. I think, Lord, what I want to pray with are people listening who are struggling right now with believing that, with believing that you are with us in our times of trouble, who don't know how they're going to pay the bills, who don't know how they're going to make it. Maybe we have parents listening who's, they have prodigal kids out there. So many people know what this is like. My son, is my son going to come back to the Lord? My daughter, are they going to come back to the Lord? How can I believe that God knows what I'm going through? I want to pray for those parents right now. Uh, or if there are prodigal people listening right now, I want to pray for them that they believe that you are closer than a brother. You're closer than the air we breathe, that you are with us and you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. I also want to pray. Oh, I believe this with all my heart. I, I, I want to pray that as people open up your word, I believe there's probably people listening who do believe in you and do believe in your word, but are busy who don't read the word for whatever reason. They're busy. They're exhausted. They forget. They're like me. Sometimes they're just lazy and we don't read the word of God and we're struggling and, and we're wondering if you are truly going to answer us. I believe with all my heart as those people open up the word of God, they are going to be re-envisioned with the truth of your word. And I want to I want to pray that that is the case, that as they open up, that you will be faithful to your word. You, in fact, your word says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. So we know that as we read the word, it that you are active in our lives to accomplish what you want to accomplish and what is good for us, because we, we know that you said that. So I pray, God, that that truth would be made known to so many people who are struggling. Maybe they're struggling believing the Bible is even real. Can I truly believe this? I pray that as they read the Bible this week, you would make known to them without a shadow of a doubt that your word is absolutely true. They can build their lives on you, on the word of God, and they will not be shaken. We pray all this in your great glorious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, John. If you're tuned in listening to us and you're just not even sure who this Jesus is that uh, John and Gordon are busy talking about, just want to encourage you, if you're in the UK, get along to www.findachurch.co.uk. There are many great churches that would love to help you find more of God's love. If you're listening worldwide, one of our partner stations, uh, just contact the station and ask them to recommend a great church to you. I'm sure they would love to do that. John, thanks for all you've shared so far. You know, it's it's amazing listening to your heart and your passion uh, and your encouragement. In fact, I should just say, if anyone's listening to that prayer and they're not sure, what do you mean, read the word? What word? It's talking about reading the Bible. So, John, in the Bible, what if you're if you're someone's maybe listening who doesn't normally read the Bible? Maybe they've got one down down in the cupboard somewhere. 
what book, because it's the Bible splits up into all these different books, it's hard to know where to begin. What book would you recommend that someone who's not read the Bible before would have a look at first within it? Oh, what a great question. Um, my wife disagrees with me about this. And um, my wife is much smarter than me. So so you, you maybe should listen to my wife, but, but I still got to give my answer. Uh, my answer is the book of John. And if people are not familiar with the Bible, I just want to say this. Don't, don't get the book of John confused with the books of first, second, and third John. Those are different. There's a book called John and it is in the new Testament. And the reason I think it's the most important now we'll say it can be confusing, but that's okay. The reason it's the most important is because it's, it's written from the, the disciple, John, who walked with Jesus that means he was close to Jesus. He witnessed these things with his own eyes, okay? Now, we have four We have four books like that in the Bible, don't we? We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are all people who walked with, with Jesus. And they're giving their different accounts. The reason I like John's account is because it, it, is, it is the one that most links Jesus to being not just a man, but being actually the Son of God. Because if Jesus is just a man who died on a cross— he may indeed be a good man. He may be indeed worthy of, of honor. You know, like in America, you know, we give a lot of honor to like, say, Martin Luther King Jr., um, who was sort of a prophet, if you will, um, to African-American people in, in America, a good man who was assassinated. But Martin Luther King was not the son of God. It's different. If Jesus was only a good man, we may give him honor. But he was more than a man. He's the son of God. And so his death means something different. His death gives all men life, those of us who put our faith in Christ. So the book of John can be difficult to read, but I will give you one last encouragement, if I may. You may. Something that, something that helped me. We have this thing called the internet. And so it, it, it gives you all this amazing access to, the, to, to things um, called commentaries. So you can read the book of John. And if you want to, you can read a biblical commentary online to see what other people, how they have explained it. Now, of course, we never want to say that biblical commentaries are are inspired the way the Word of God is inspired, but it's always good to know what some of these scholars thought. John Calvin, Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry is probably my favorite commentary. So go check those commentaries out and it, to understand what that what this book means but as you read the book of john you're going to f find out about jesus the man jesus the son of god his death and resurrection well pretty foundational important things to to learn about that's for sure uh, and actually have you ever looked at the bible project yes i have yeah my daughter loves the bible project actually so I think the Bible Project is a great thing to, to have a quick look at. If you're about to read one of the books of the Bible, look at the Bible Project. It gives you a really nice animated sort of overview of, of the key uh, features of it, which I think is a really, really nice, helpful way to, to understand what the book's about. Um, okay, so you mentioned your wife, Corey, and said she disagrees with you, which is good because that means she's opinionated as well. Uh, uh, <laughs> so can you tell me what would she have said? You know, this is the funny thing. I'd have to call her. I'd have to call her and tell her to come. Where Where are you? Come home and do this interview. Here's the thing. She's always said, I disagree. John is, is the most complicated gospel. She says it's so complicated. Some people can't read it. But she's never told me which one she thinks is the best. She, she might say, <sighs> actually, because my wife is a very philosophical person. Here's the funny thing about my wife. She's brilliant. Uh, much, much smarter than me and much more godly than me, honestly. She would probably say the book of Ecclesiastes. And the funny thing about this is that the book of Ecclesiastes is maybe 
besides the book of Revelation, maybe the hardest book in the Bible to understand. And my, <laughs> yeah. my wife is like, no, it's not. I've always understood this. I say, that's because you've got a weird philosophy brain. Uh, and, and so <laughs> because of my wife, Ecclesiastes has actually become one of my favorite books. It's brilliant, but it is not one of the easiest ones to read. So I don't know what she would say. Um, but, but, you know, uh, we'll have to get her on next time, next time, yes, Corey, next time, me and Corey or just Corey you may just want her because she may not get in a word edgewise. Cause I talk too much. <laughs> it would be great to chat to Corey at some point. I would absolutely love that. In fact, that brings us nicely on to, to this question. Where did you and Corey meet? Well, funny enough, let's see. Um, just to bring in the UK a little bit. So everybody feels like we're family here. Let's see. Uh, my wife. My wife's dad is a pastor. Um, at this point, he's 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 kind of a, a half time, uh, part time. Sorry, part time elder. You know, he's seventy eight now, but he's a pastor. Started a church, and he, they were related to a group of churches actually that were that begun in England, and it used to be called Covenant Ministries International. Uh, Bryn Jones and Carrie Jones oh, were yeah. some of the leaders there, and so. They had a school called Covenant uh, Covenant College, which was a sort of year theology program. And so uh, I'm from Memphis. My wife is from Wisconsin. And so Corey went to England for a year and to this Covenant College, to Bible school. And she lived with a family that was from Memphis, who was also going to the school. And after that program, that family from Memphis came back to Memphis to lead a church that I, I in college became a part of. And so my pastor and his wife used to say, you got to meet this, this girl we know from Wisconsin, Corey, she loves music too. And so she came down to visit them and that's how we met. So there's our, there's our England connection. That is nice. I, I, the England was, was actually probably the primary reason that Skillet That's exists right. as it does. I'm, I'm, I will take all credit for that because I, I live in England. So that's a cool story. I like it. I like it. Okay. So how long ago did you get married then? The 20, we just celebrated 26 years. Oh, congratulations. That's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Was it, was it love at first sight on both sides or did you like her first, etc.? Uh, I don't really remember. I remember we, we met a couple of times and um, the first ones were very like kind of like quick, like she was just kind of around and I didn't even really remember. I was busy. And my, I think she came to see my band play before Skillet and I had met her afterwards. So after a show, you're kind of dazed. So I didn't remember that. The first time I really remember remember meeting her, I was very, very taken with her. And what I was taken with, honestly, she had, she was singing on a worship team at, at our church. She'd come in to visit, and they said, hey, why don't you sing the worship team? And she did. And I was very taken with her passion for God. And we talked afterwards, and it became it became obvious to me very quickly that she was much, much more mature than me, much deeper in God than me. She knew the Bible really well. I didn't know the Bible very well. I was loud. She was quiet. You know, these were things that I was very attracted to. And I think that she quickly began liking me. And I think what she was attracted to with me well, wasn't my intellect. I was, I'm not an academic. I failed out of college. Just so people understand, you do not have to be smart to have wisdom and to understand the, the Bible, which is great news for me. And uh, that's not how God works, which is wonderful. But she was attracted, I think, to my passion for God. I was an evangelist and we didn't have a lot of common except 
for Jesus, passion for God. We wanted our lives to matter for God. That's what we had in common. And so it, it was just boom. And it happened very quickly. We got married quickly. Um, and we lived our entire marriage on the road, raised our kids on the road and, and you know, so on and so forth. Wow. Okay. That's cool. At what point then did, did Skillet start in this process? And you say, hey, Corey, why don't you be in the Skillet with me? Yeah. Funny enough, Skillet started almost at the very same time that me and Corey started seeing each other. Now she was not in the band at first. And so we, uh, Skillet's first record came out in November of 96. Me and Corey got married about six months later, March 1st of 97, excuse me, 97. And it was early in 1998. So only about a year of Skillet before she began to be in the band because we started recording a new record and we started changing our sound a bit, adding in keyboards, adding in electronics. And we were like, hey, we're probably going to have to have a keyboard player. What does this mean? Uh, my wife was in a band where she played keyboards. This just kind of makes sense. It was very kind of natural. We never planned it. It was like, oh, that just kind of makes sense. And before you knew it, me and Corey were actually the only two you know, left in the band. And I'm the only original member from Skillet. The other two guys kind of quit early, fairly early on. Do you think they regret uh, quitting? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think they both very much felt God had called them to other things. You know, Skillet was Skillet started really for the sole purpose of evangelism, um, uh, to do outreach at college campuses and things like that. I mean, we wanted to tour and yada yada. My guitar player was very talented, uh, he, but he was ten years older than me, so I was twenty. He was thirty. He had just gotten married. Um, about four months into touring, you know, all of a sudden he, they, they just having a baby. Man. So he was like, Hey, you know, I don't know how long, much longer I want to do this. I got a kid at home and the whole thing. He left and he started a, a school called visible school in Memphis, Tennessee. That is a Christian college uh, for the arts. So he's kind of moved on. He's a, he's a visionary guy into all sorts of other visionary things for the kingdom. My drummer was sort of like, Hey, I'm really just here. This isn't even the kind of music I listen to. I'm here to serve. I want, you know, I want to do evangelism. I'll do it for a few years and we'll see what happens. And so, um, no, I don't think they were, I don't think they look back at it and say, man, I wish I had stayed. This looks so fun. I think they feel like we served God. We served the kingdom, started something, and then God moved us on to go start other things for the kingdom. So um, that's how we started. So obviously you're very well known for being a musician, but I said you're a thinker as well. I believe you've written a book as well. What's the book you wrote? Yeah, so the book is called Awake and Alive to Truth. And you can get on Amazon, of course, um, but or you can go to Audible. And so you, if, if people uh, want to hear me talk, which you might not want to anymore, but you can hear me talk on Audible. So I, I read my own book on there if you want to check it out. And um, it's really, it's basically presenting two paths. There's a path to life. There's a path to death, and that path to life is found on the on the Word of God. And so, the the book sort of, um, I think, you know, I've I had a theologian say, John, um, he he teaches at a a a biblical school of theology, and he told me he said, John, I'm using this book for all of my first year students. Your book is the required reading, and I said, my book for theology, and he said, yes, because it's the most, it's the easiest to understand. I call it. Biblical theology for dummies like me. That's what I call it because it's just, it's basically your basic concepts, original sin, why we can't trust our feelings, 
why we can't be good enough to earn salvation. It's it's like this sort of stuff. And what I'm finding is that a lot of Christian millennials and Christian Gen Zers don't know these foundational faiths. Frankly, I feel like we as the church, we as older people have not done the best job of teaching them. And I think that that, that we need to do better. So I, I decided to write the book. So check it out, Awake and Alive to Truth. You mentioned you can get it from Amazon. I would encourage people, if possible, maybe just spend the extra pound or two rather than getting from Amazon. Go and get it from a Christian bookshop if you can, because there are still numbers of those existing and it's great to keep them going because- Can I interrupt you really fast? This is really important to say. You must do, go I, ahead. I agree with what you just said, except you can't get mine in a bookstore. Um, you wanna hear something crazy. I could not get in America a, pub, a Christian publisher. Um, they just said, they, they just said, this is, some of this is too controversial. And all that it is, is, traditional theology and it was now i'm not saying there's nobody that would do it i was talking i talked to six of the major publishing companies who now are owned by secular bigger companies and uh, and i and i, I brought up other books to see it, but but you printed this and this is on this is borderlining heresy and they said well that yeah but that's different because of this what it comes down to is that even a lot of the christian publishing agencies at this point are very frightened of printing things that we've all just considered truth, such as there is a place called heaven and there is a place called hell. And that is so controversial, a lot of people won't print it. So I published it on my own. So I think that that actually goes into what we talked about. So unfortunately, now go to your bookstore and ask them if they have it, but more than likely they won't. Okay, uh, you know, thank you for the clarification. Guys, if you're listening at home, Go on to Amazon and get that book. So, <laughs> great. Okay, John, thanks. That, that's really helpful. We've got one more track to play from you in a moment, but i just got to quickly just check in on Jen Ledger because we love her in the UK because she's from the UK. She's from Coventry. She is awesome. She's, she's, your, she's your drummer. Tell me, she started doing some solo projects. So back in 2018, there was an EP of Ledger and, uh, and you were really supportive when I was talking to you about trying to see what God might want to do in that sort of arena what is what, what's the plan do you know what's the plan i don't know that's that's what we all keep praying what's the plan lord <laughs> um no we don't really know i mean she's doing fantastic so so yes jen our drummers from from coventry she came to to our church to do a worship school program years and years ago now when she was about 16 but i want to share this very quickly because it might i think it's going to encourage your listeners in an incredible way and fortify them in the things we've already talked about today i will make this very quick um before jen so when jen was a teenager she has twin brothers her one of her brothers uh came over to do this worship school program was not a christian but he was like hey this is a place i heard that i can go and play drums and we'll see how it goes came over to the school got saved, gave his life to Christ, got born again, and so radically changed. It's such a major life change that he calls his twin brother, and he's like, dude, you know, all these things that I used to say and do, don't do them anymore, and they didn't know if it was a joke. Like, what's happened? Did this guy joined some kind of cult. What's up? He came home, and was his life was so different that his brother then was like, what in the world's going on? came to the school and gave his life to Christ. And so J my drummer, Jen, was a younger sister. She was a young 12, 13-year-old, and she saw such a transformation in her brothers that she was just like, I don't I don't know how this could even be real. There's no way this could be real. So, so she ends up giving her life to Christ because of her brother's transformation. 
And I'm only saying that because sometimes we think that all that being a Christian is, is acknowledging some sort of proposition of truth. Like, okay, I acknowledge that God is real and that Jesus died. And that's all that being a Christian is about. But that's not all that being a Christian is about. The Bible promises us that the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of us and he will transform you from the inside out. And so what that means is that you become a brand new person capable of saying no to sin. Oh, it's an amazing, amazing thing. I want to encourage people that because my drummer, her entire family, she had two, two twins, Jen, her sister, and both of her parents all became Christians because of this story. So this is an amazing transformational thing. I want to encourage people out there of the truth of God's word. All right. Now back to this story. I don't know what's going to happen with Jen. We're still doing music. I think COVID sort of put everybody in a weird, like uh, uh time loop or, or not time loop, like a weird time things where everything got pushed back two years, you know? And so we sort of, released a new skillet record and we had to push Jen and some other things we were doing. We pushed it back a touch. And so we're still praying on that. God, what do you have next? And so whatever God has for Jen, we're supportive of. She's amazingly talented. People should definitely go check out her music ledger. Uh, really, really great music. She's a great person. She loves the Lord. She's a warrior and we need more women warriors like her. So I, I kind of like brag on her as often as possible. Yeah, well, rightly so, because she's absolutely awesome, brilliant music, and it's great to hear just so much she loves Jesus as well. So, um, And what a wonderful story, the way that the whole family uh, came absolutely. to Christ. Absolutely. So that's really exciting. We really do need to play this last track in a minute, but just tell us, which countries in Europe are you going to? You're starting, you're starting in the UK, aren't you? That's on Friday the 14th of April 2023. Where else are you going in Europe? All right. Well, we really could come and, and do two weeks. And I don't know why we don't just do two weeks in the UK. We're not going to Scotland. We're not going to Ireland. And we need to, but we're not, unfortunately. However, we are going to nearly everywhere else in Europe besides Spain, Portugal. I'd have to look at all the countries. But we are going to France, Germany, of course, lots in Germany, um, Hungary, um, you know. Bel Belgium, Luxembourg. Yeah, that's right. Den Denmark. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, it gets hard to remember, but we do a lot in Europe, and um, and and we're getting to the point we need to even do more in Europe. So I think, again, that was ramping up. We were getting to the place prior to COVID where we were coming sometimes twice a year, and and so now everything's opened up. We're we're sort of coming kind of getting back to it. Okay, so well, well, I think that's exciting news for people here in the UK. You will be back in the States um, come the end of June, I think. But um, this last track that we've got from you, Surviving the Game. Tell us about Surviving the Game. Well, if you if people think Skillet's full on, you're about to hear something pretty full on. -er. It's a little more full on than the last one. Um, surviving the Game is a fight song, and you can relate to this to anything you want to. I mean, I think people locked up in their houses for a year, definitely needed this song. It's like, how am I going to make it the next day? But whatever thing you're going, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you're struggling with people listening. I'm struggling with an addiction and I don't want this in my life anymore. This song is going to be one of those things to help you. Or maybe it's even something not as heavy as that. Maybe it's like, hey, I'd really like to get in shape. I need I need to lose some weight. I want to go to the gym and, and I need something to help me, you know, in my workouts. Put this song on your playlist and, and because this song, that's what this song is about. It's about fighting to the end, but it's based on a scripture I love. 
I love it. We know that we are more than conquerors in Christ. Man, I love that scripture. And and I think it's a great way to end the, the interview because it's we said it once before, but we we sort of bring it back around. We're bookending this. I am more than a conqueror in Christ, not because of the things that I do in my own strength, but because of the work of Christ on the cross. That makes me more than a conqueror. And because of that good news, now I can learn to obey. It's grace that leads to obedience. So listeners, be a conqueror in Christ. Say no to sin. Do not give any provision for the lusts of the flesh. And so uh, I hope it song encourages you. And that was Surviving the Game by Skillet. And thank you so very much for John Cooper for joining us today for the artist interview. What a man with a passion for the word of God and seeing God move and reaching out and being a light to so many people. And I should say, if you enjoyed hearing John and his opinions, which I did, you can pop on to find his podcast online. It's called Cooper Stuff. Great podcast, all sorts of different topics in there. Look it up, have a, have a look, maybe follow it as well, because you know what? It's a great opportunity to actually engage and find out more about all the stuff that's going on in John's head. And there are also many other uh, artists and great music and stories for you to enjoy. Just search up our podcast, The Artist Interview. Uh, I hope it will really bless you uh, and maybe share it with a friend as well. I look forward to joining you on the next episode. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Artist Interview, a Hope FM podcast. Find us at hopefm.com forward slash The Artist Interview.